Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 14. Uh, we've been going through the book of Acts on Wednesday nights, and we're going to keep doing that. And uh, I'm really excited about tonight. I, I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about. Uh, I love going through the book of Acts. One of my favorite books in the whole Bible. Just, uh, you know, so, so much encouragement and, and so much understanding about what God was doing with the church, why he, why he formed the church in the first place. Uh, you know, that was thousands of years ago, yet here we are tonight gathered, right? Gathered as a church, worshiping, singing, praying, studying the word. And yet you go, you read thousands of years ago in the book of Acts, it's really not that much different what they were doing. You know, gathering, they were gathering in homes sometimes, gathering homes, praying, breaking bread, could say drinking coffee, you know, it's all the same thing. Breaking bread, sharing, sharing meal, fellowshipping, singing, worshiping God, studying His Word, and yet it's been going on for hundreds of years, and yet here we are tonight gathered. And I love reading the book of Acts because you get God's intention. It's really the beginning of, of what we're walking out today. In other words, you, you see the very beginning of God's intention for the church. You know, if you read the Old Testament... And you see the priests and the sacrifices and things like that. You know, I don't relate super well with that. I mean, I, but when I read the book of Acts, I go, okay, we, that's, that's really us. It's just us a lot earlier. And you, when you, what you're seeing in the book of Acts is literally like day one of the church. And now here we are, you know, 2,000 plus years later, still walking that out, still living that out. And I think it's important, I think it's crucial that you go back and look at how it started, how it was formed, much in the same way it would be important to go back with a, the birth of a nation, to go back and look at how was the nation founded? What, what did the people think like? Why did they make the decisions that they did? Why did they write the Constitution the way that they did? You know, what were these people like? That's what we're doing when we go through the book of Acts. We're finding out what was the church like? Who, how did they think? What things did they allow? What things did they not allow? What things did they expect to happen uh, you know, when they prayed? And should we be expecting those same things? That, that kind of thing. And the reason why, again, just like a nation, if you don't do that, you can move several hundred years down the road and you can go, we're kind of way off track from where we started. Like, There were some things and some ideas they had in the beginning that if you don't look at it and you don't pay attention to it, you could find yourself way off from that, like way off course from what the original intent was. And same thing with the church. If the church doesn't go to the Bible and doesn't look at the book of Acts, the gospels, the epistles, and, and we don't look there, then we can find ourselves kind of way off from what God originally intended for the church. Now, we don't have to look just like them, obviously, uh, things can change, things can be updated, you know, modern things can happen, move on, that's all fine. But what we're looking for is those core things that should never change. Those core things that should, should run all the way from the book of Acts all the way to where we're at now. Amen. That's why we're on week 21, if you haven't been with us. Uh, we goes all the way into the last year, and I think year before on Wednesday nights, we've just been taking our time going through the book of Acts and this is actually week 21 of going through the book of Acts, but we're only in Acts chapter 14. So let's start there, verse 1. We, we started in chapter 14 last week. Uh, verse 1, we kind of only read a couple verses, but it says, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. If you missed last week, this is talking about Paul and Barnabas. This is Paul the Apostle. And Barnabas, the apostle, they are together on their very first missionary journey. So there's three total missionary journeys that Paul goes on in the book of Acts. This is the first one. And they basically make a loop. I'm going to show you a, a map later tonight of this missionary journey. But they basically make a, make a loop and kind of work their way back. And so they're at, they're at a particular city right now called Iconium. It says, now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. And again, I made the point last week that 
this may sound so simple when you read it, but literally you're watching the process of salvation happen right here. They preached, people heard it, something happened in here when they heard it. They, they believed the message, and because they believed it, and when they believed it, there was a miracle that happened in here, in their, in their spirit, and the Bible says they were born again. They became a new creation in Christ. That's the process of salvation. That, that's how God's chosen to do it. The Word of God goes forth. It fall, the, another, Jesus in one place said it's like seed being sown. It falls on soil. Okay, four different types of ground, some of it good ground, some of it not good ground, some of it rocky ground, right? The seed goes out, but in some of the soil, that seed takes root and it gives birth to new life. And that's what's happening here. They, they preach to a large group of people. Everyone's not going to believe, but some do believe. And it, that faith rises in their heart, but watch what happens. They believe, but then verse 2, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the non-Jews or Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. And we focused last week on that word poison because this happens a lot. You see, this is what Satan tries to do in our, in our lives, through our culture, through, through our own doubts, is to poison that faith that had risen in our hearts. And he does that through wrong thinking. Right? He does that uh, maybe through reading a book. I've seen it happen as a, when I was a youth pastor, I used to watch this happen where you know, kids would leave our youth group loving the Lord, loving the Word of God. They'd go off to some secular college and have their mind, we'll say poisoned, because that's the word he uses here, have their mind poisoned day after day, semester after semester, before, after, before the time they were about a sophomore, they didn't even know if they believed in God anymore. Well, what happened? Well, you got the same principle at work, but on opposite ends. See, when the word of God and truth is preached, faith rises and it leads to salvation. That same process, though, is what leads somebody away from God. Doubt is preached or taught. Lies are taught. And if faith rises and connects with those doubts and that lies, guess what? It causes a person to be alienated from God. So that's the process you have going on here. The word of God is preached. Some believe. But then those who didn't believe, they begin to sow poison because they don't want anybody believing this message. And so they begin to sow uh, poison. And then, you know, we, we're not going to go there again because we, that's what we talked about last week. But basically, they end up having a lot of problems and have to leave that city. So verse 8 is where we're going to pick up tonight. They move on to a city called Lystra. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. Now watch the process. You're going to see it again. He listened to Paul speaking. So that's how it starts. Paul, again, is preaching. What, you, know, you just think about what weapons these guys had. And everywhere you go and you see Jesus doing the same thing, they preach. They preach. They preach. But they're not just talking. They're not giving like a TED talk, right? They're, they're giving something that has power. And so Paul preaches, and there was somebody who was crippled, and he listened to Paul speaking. He was, he was listening. And what was happening while he was listening? Well, we know that faith was rising in his heart. So he's listening to Paul speak, and Paul looking intently at him, and look at this, Seeing that he had faith to be made well. So Paul apparently could see faith on the guy. I know as a pastor, I've seen the opposite sometimes. I'm out preaching, I'm like, that one's sleeping. That ain't no faith over there, you know. But I've seen faith too. You know, you can, but sometimes you see people distracted. You see people on their cell phones. You know, things like that. I didn't time that. That just happened. I wasn't planning that. That was just, that was perfect. <laughs> uh, anyway, the Lord has a good sense of humor too. Don't, you know. But he says he listened to Paul speaking and we know faith was rising in his heart. And so 
Paul looking at t- intently at him. It'd be like if I was up here preaching and I'm like looking around, you know, to everybody while I'm preaching, and all of a sudden I focus in on one person and I start looking intently. And I was like, what is he doing? He's really like preaching to that one guy over there. But it was because he saw that he had faith to be made well. Probably this was like <clears throat> one of the gifts of the Spirit, like a, like a word of knowledge or, you know, just seeing. He just knew something by the Spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit. He could just see it on that person that God was doing something in their life. And so he saw that he had faith. And so with a loud voice, again, in the middle of why he's preaching, he stops and he looks at him and he says, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. He was, he was healed instantly. Uh, and he was crippled from birth. He was crippled from birth. Now remember, man will try to tell you all kind of stuff. Man will try to poison your mind with all kind of stuff. But let me tell you something. There's no difference between what was going on in the book of Acts to what's going on now. Okay, same God, same Holy Spirit, same church age. Okay, now... You go, well, I haven't seen anything happen like that. It, it doesn't matter what you've seen or what you've experienced. And we could talk about a whole nother, we, and have talked a lot about what your faith should be based on. All right? It's not based on some experience. It's based on the Word of God. And I'm telling you from the Word that we are part of this same church that we see in the book of Acts. Nothing's changed. right? We still have the Great Commission. We still have the world to reach. The gospel still has to go all over the world. We still need the power of the Holy Spirit. We still need miracles, just like they did. If they needed the power of God, if they needed miracles to do their job and to do the Great Commission, we need it to do, to do our job. It doesn't make any sense to have a church that has the same mission and same call, but somehow they have less power, or I would say less artillery, less weapons to do what they've been called to do. No, we, we actually are part of the same church, and we have the same Holy Spirit in us. And if we don't see these types of things, then we should do what we see the church doing in the New Testament, which is pray. We should pray, and we should ask God, God, why aren't we experiencing this? Do we need to repent? Do we need to pray for revival? Do, you know, do, do we need to change our hearts? What, what do we need to do? Because a lot of times in the Bible, you'll see where the Lord went silent, until his people begin to pray and repent. And when they begin to pray and repent, then revival would break out and times of refreshing and the, and the rains of the Holy Spirit would come. So, but a lot of times what you see, what, okay, I'll say what I've seen in the church is when there's no power or seemingly no power available, well, we just begin to create and invent different doctrines. You go, well, oh yeah, God doesn't do that anymore. Well, where's that scripture? Where, where, where did you get that? Well, because, you know, we prayed and it didn't happen. Well, <laughs> my faith is not based on that. My faith is based on the Word of God. It's based on a scripture. So we just invent things because we go, well, you know, God's not doing that anymore. Or that was this. That, and we just have all these basically human reasoning that we come up with. Well, I, I think we're making a mistake to do that. I think that we would be much, much better off seeking the Lord saying, God, I see this in your word, but I'm not seeing it in my life or in reality. Why not? Show me. What, where are we off? What are we doing wrong? What do we need to change? How do we need to pray? How do we need to repent? What, what is the issue that's you know, blocking this in, in our lives? And you do see this in the Bible if you look closely. If you see this and if you look in the Bible, you will see that there was an ebb and flow of the power of God in different seasons. You know, there were times where, for example, that Timothy had problems with his stomach. And Paul, you know, he's writing to Timothy, and Timothy was having problems with his stomach. And Paul wrote to him, and he said, well, you know, you need to take a little wine for your stomach, not just water all the time. He said, because you're having all these stomach problems. Well, why didn't he just say, man, you need to believe God for that and just get healing and you'll be fine. Well, apparently it, was, it wasn't like it was when Peter's shadow was just walking by healing people. So, he, so Paul, you might as well say Paul told him to take some medicine, essentially what he did. He said, why don't you take some medicine for that stomach, that stomach problem that you're having? Now, does that mean he wasn't believing God? No. But he was giving him a natural remedy 
while he was believing God for something supernatural in his life. And I've seen this with Christians. I, I'm just going to, we're not going to stay real long on this because this isn't the point of the message tonight. But I've seen Christians get off on this a little bit. It's like, if you believe God for safety, for example. How many of you believe God for your own safety and your protection? God will preserve you, right? The Bible says His angels watch over you, protect you, bear you up in their hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone, put a hedge of protection around you. I believe God for safety. Well, when I get in my vehicle, I still put my seatbelt on. Why? Well, God may want to use that seatbelt. God may want to use that seatbelt to save me. So it's not always just miraculous. How many of you have ever had, how many of you ever prayed and had to believe God for money, finances, God to come through financially? I know we have as a church. Man, we've had some money miracles, right? Our church getting paid off, the student center, we've had some money miracles. You know what's never happened? It's never just appeared in a basket of money right on the floor, magically, miracle, like Jesus did with the fish and the bread. That's never happened. I never had it like that. It came through what would seem like a very natural means. It came through a person. It came through people. But was it still God? Yes, absolutely it was still God. But I think Christians have made a mistake sometimes thinking, well, I want it to be a miracle. Well, that's not your, you don't get to determine that. Your, your job, our job as believers is not to determine how it comes. It's just to put our eyes on Jesus and say, I don't know how it's coming. I just believe it's coming. I'm believing God for, for this, and it doesn't matter how it comes. And if you look in the Bible, you see that constantly. God almost never did the same thing the same way twice. And sometimes he would tell, think about when, when, uh, he brought water out of the rock. First time he told Moses to hit the rock. Second time he told Moses to speak to the rock. And he got mad when he didn't do it the right way. He, he almost never did it the same way twice. And I think the point of all that is to say, it, don't matter, it doesn't matter how it happens. I don't care if, it, if I'm believing God for healing. I don't care if it happens miraculously. I don't care if it happens while somebody prayed for me. I don't care if it happens while I'm reading the Bible. I don't care if it happens through medicine. I don't care if it happens through a doctor. It's irrelevant to me. My eyes are just on Jesus for my healing. And I, and I serve a God that still heals today, just like then. So you read a story like this, and you see an example of how it happened. It happened while Paul was preaching. And what a lot of people do is they go, Okay, so we should try to do that. Like, we see that, so we should try to do that. No, because you'll only see that really once. Every other time, you see it happen different ways. One time, the apostles prayed over some towels, some cloths. They prayed over them, and they said, go take these to people that are sick and just lay them on them. You only saw that one time. They never did that again. And people got healing that way. And again, I already gave you an example where Paul told Timothy a very natural way to get healing his life. So my point is that we still serve the same God and he's still a God of miracles and he's still a God that accomplishes the impossible to anyone that believes. That's still the, the, motive, the, the mode of operation. That's still how God works. So don't ever let your mind be poisoned with unbelief. Don't ever start allowing unbelief to come in and go, well, yeah, I see that in the book of Acts, but, you know, I prayed for this and I didn't get it, or I'm not sure God moves it. You know what that is? That's the poison of unbelief. And that poison will affect your faith. And, that's, and, and, it, and we see it in this instance where it was affecting salvation. That's how powerful it is. You had people that were hearing the word and they were starting to believe, and then poison came in and brought unbelief, and now they don't know. Now they're, and you can't get saved like that. You can't be saved wishy washy. You got to know. You got to have 100% belief and faith all in. So for this guy, he says, Stand upright on your feet. He sprang up and began to walk. Now watch what happened, verse 11. And when the crowds saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker, and the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, 
brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowd. So this, uh, this miracle that happened, it really had the opposite effect of what Paul and Barnabas were probably hoping would happen. Obviously, if you heal someone in the name of Jesus, you want them to turn and give glory to Jesus. But that's not what happened. They were so entrenched in this Greek mythology that when a miracle happened, they thought Paul and Barnabas was Zeus and Hermes. So they begin to basically worship them. Verse 14, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying out, men... Why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons. Satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. But even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. Verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. On the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. Now, there is just... A mouthful in these two verses right here. It's like, I don't know, Luke's just trying to cram so much. But you got, this is an, if you didn't realize what was going on here, it just is, it's like a slap in the face a little bit. You're reading and all, you can't even understand what's happening here. Wait a minute, I thought y'all were just worshiping these guys. I thought you just thought that they were Zeus and the priest of Zeus is coming out and they're throwing down garlands and they're worshiping it. And wait, one verse later, they're stoning them to death? What is going on here? What well, shows you the power of that poison that we were talking about? That's what just happened. If you follow what's going on here, okay, you remember at Iconium that these Jews came and they poisoned their mind. Now, this is not in the scripture specifically, but if you follow what's happened from chapter 13 on, you find out that these Jews at Iconium that came and poisoned everybody's mind likely came from the previous city, which was Antioch. And if you go read about the thing that happened at Antioch, you remember where Paul was preaching. They loved it so much, they asked him to come back the next week, and then the whole city showed up. Paul preaches, everybody's, everybody's believing, but then there were a few Jews there that got stirred up and they started shutting everybody down. They got the whole city in unbelief. And that's when Paul said, you know what, if, if this is how it's going to be, then we're no longer going to preach to the Jews. We're now going to the Gentiles. And he says they, they wiped off the dust of their feet and they went on to Iconium. Well, apparently those Jews from Antioch, they followed them to Iconium. And when they preached there... And people started to believe they poisoned their minds and they stirred them up. They left Iconium. They went to Lystra. People start to believe. These Jews show up. They start to sow poison again. and start, They sow it to the point that these guys were ready to stone Paul. And man, what a lesson here. I mean, what a, what a lesson about the fickleness of human adoration and how... All of these people today, they want, to get, they want to be social media influencers. They want to be on Instagram. They want to be popular. They want to be famous. Man, going after the, the adoration and the worship of people is so fickle. They'll be for you one minute and against you the next. They'll turn on you like that because, uh, because they really don't care about you in the first place. They really don't care about you. They care about themselves. And that's not a thing that any of us should be living for. That's a whole other sermon. But this, this mindset in, a, in the younger generation today to, oh, I want to be famous on you. Oh, I want to get 50 likes. I want to get 100 likes on this. Or, oh, I want to have this many views. That, that's not really anything that anybody ought to be going after because you could have 1,000 likes today and they could be stoning you the next day. 
And that's not anything to live for. The, the thing that we ought to be living for is the approval of God and, his, and, and making sure that our lives receive his stamp of approval, not the approval of the world. So these guys, they, they were worshiping him, but their minds get poisoned again. And they literally, they stone Paul. Now look at this. Oh, Jews... Well, actually, it does say, I was mistaken. It actually does say they came from Antioch here in, in verse 19. We didn't know that the first ones at Iconium came from Antioch. It didn't tell us that. But here in verse 19, it does say Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, which was the next city. Having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him. Now, let, let's stop there a minute because I want to go back to this miracle thing for just a minute. Now, Paul had just preached a message where an undeniable miracle happened, right? He looks at a guy crippled from birth, rise up and walk. The guy jumps up, walks. Wow, powerful miracle. So, they're in the middle of this, right? They're in the middle of seeing all, they're in the middle of seeing the, the almost, you could say, unrestrained power of God. Yet, Paul is stoned almost to death. Now, if I'm Paul, and I just saw this miracle, I mean, how many of you know the same God that healed the crippled man could have prevented him from getting stoned? Miraculously, but it didn't happen. And I'm showing you that because so many times when people go through stuff, they always want to know why, 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 why this, why me, why this so difficult, so hard. If God did that for them, if God could do that, why not for me? Well, again, God, Paul was not, have any of y'all ever seen a stoning? Or can you just use your imagination to think about picking up rocks and them being thrown at a person's head until they are dead? Okay, that's brutal. Paul had to walk through that, endure that, and he did not receive any supernatural divine protection, and he is the Apostle Paul. I, it doesn't tell us why. I'm just making the point that we serve a God of miracles, but it doesn't mean that every single, there, it doesn't mean that there's never going to be any pain or difficulty or issues in our life. Now, Paul was preserved, but not, after, not until after he went through a stoning. Now, whether God raised him for the dead or just miraculously, you know, kept him alive through the process, but regardless, he had to, he had to be stoned. And it wasn't the only time the apostles went through that. I mean, one time they were, they were beat with whips across their, their back. They, they had all kinds. Paul was shipwrecked. I mean, at one place in Corinthians, Paul goes through all the issues, all the problems that he had to walk through as an apostle. But yet he served a God of miracles. He served a God that was there for him time and time again, provided for him, healed him, all of that. But he still, on the other hand, had all these issues that come with living a normal life on this cursed and broken earth. So stuff happens. It's not always, we don't always get the, the miraculous protection or miraculous answer that we're walking through. But what we are promised is that God will bring us through it. Okay, and that's what we that's where our eyes should be. So they stone Paul, they drag him out of the city, and supposing that he was dead, they leave him there, verse 20. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Now you want to talk about somebody that's got a backbone of steel? The man just got within one inch of his life, beaten to death with stones, he rises up, he goes right back into the same city. Now, I'm not saying he didn't do it quietly. I'm not saying he didn't sneak back into the city. I don't know. It doesn't tell us. But he rose up and he entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. So they continue their missionary journey. Now, what's interesting is you will see Paul... In a couple chapters, he is a little bit hesitant with these miracles going forward. Because you'll see in, in chapter 16 where he's walking and there's this girl following him. And she's, you know, she's saying some things because she's demon-possessed. And for several days, Paul does not cast the demon out of her. 
and those with him don't really understand what's going on. I, I can't help but think he had this he had this incident in mind. I remember what happened last time there was a miracle. Uh, it turned the whole city around, and we had and I was stoned and almost left for dead. But here's my point to that, and I, I just want to say this. Sometimes people think, oh, man, if we just had miracles, people would believe. That, you don't actually see that very much in Scripture. People who already believed give glory to God. But people that had unbelief in their heart, like the Pharisees, they saw all of Jesus' miracles. It never converted to faith, never led them to faith. They never gave glory to God. City after city sees miracles like this. They, and sometimes people think like that. They think, well, if God would just show himself, or man, if God would just do a miracle, then people would believe. We don't have any evidence of that. I mean, there are some, of course, that will believe, but they're typically people that already believed. Or they're people that were already, their hearts were towards God. And it just gave them that little push to going over. But if a person has hatred and anger and unbelief in their heart towards God, seeing a miracle is not going to do it for them. And, and you, hear, you, you hear that straight out of, you know, straight from heaven coming through Abraham to uh, the rich man, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus where uh, uh, the rich man is in, in, uh, in Hades, and he tells a Father Abraham, he says, Look, just please send somebody back to my brothers and let them know about this place. And he said, Listen, if they don't believe the law and the prophets, they will not believe even somebody rising from the dead. Now, was he right? Or was he exaggerating? Was he mistaken? Was he wrong? No, that, that is a correct statement. He says, If they will not believe the word of God, even if somebody rose from the dead and told them, they still would not believe. They still would not believe. So the issue is not, and sometimes people think that, you know, well, if God would just show himself, you know, if we could just, if people could just see God, then they would, all they got to do is look around. Look, I can, I can look at my little finger and watch it move around and know there's a God. I can look at my child, especially walking around and know there's a God. But no, the Bible says they've denied it, they've rejected it because of the sin in their heart. It's not because there's no evidence and there's no proof. That's not the reason. It, the Bible says it, they rejected the light because they loved the darkness. It's not because the light wasn't convincing. Not because there wasn't enough evidence for the light. No, they rejected the light because they loved the darkness. That's the sinfulness of the human condition. Now, I have this map that I want to show you just so you can kind of get a visual of uh, Paul's first missionary journey. Hopefully you could see that pretty well. Uh, the, blue, the blue line that you see at the bottom, you'll notice that it begins all the way uh, to my left. It, it begins at Antioch. All right, this is where the church of Antioch was planted that's where Paul and Barnabas start at Antioch. They leave there and go to that purple island, which was Cyprus. That's their first stop. And they go across the whole island there. This is beginning in Acts chapter 13. Okay, and so I've been telling you, the, we've been going through each of these cities the last couple weeks. And you hear about Iconium. You hear about uh, Lystra. You hear about another city called Antioch. You hear about Derby. And, and what that is, is these, this is the first missionary journey that they're on. Once they get to Derby, they turn around. See, Derby, hopefully you can see that all the way at the end, right above Cilicia. They get to Derby, and then they turn around, and they begin going back through the same cities that they were already in, strengthening the brothers, strengthening the disciples that were made. They go back through Lystra, Iconium, back to Antioch, to Perga. They add uh, Italia, and then they skip Cyprus and just cut straight across the Mediterranean Sea back to Antioch. So this whole, you can just leave that map up there for a moment while we read this next part. But what happens on this journey, just to summarize, I want to give you the highlights of it. So the whole journey was about one year. And Paul and Barnabas were working at Antioch. And, and if, again, if you've been here on Wednesday nights, all this is going to sound familiar to you, but just kind of a summary of it. Paul and Barnabas were, were at Antioch, working in the Antioch church. And you remember, they were praying and fasting. 
And the Holy Spirit said, praise God for the Holy Spirit. Man, I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit. I love when I read things like that in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit said, because that means we can hear from the Holy Spirit. If they could hear from the Holy Spirit, how many of you know we can hear from the Holy Spirit? I depend on the Holy Spirit. No, I don't hear him with my physical ear, but I, I get instruction. I get leading in my heart. I know what's right. I know what's wrong. When I pray about decisions, I can know which one to make. I expect to know which one to make because the Holy Spirit's on the inside of me. Sometimes there were things I needed to know that I didn't know, and it's because I hadn't sought God about it. But if I'm faithful to seek God, I'll always get the answer I need. Amen? So the Holy Spirit said, while they were fasting and praying, Holy Spirit said, Set apart Saul and Barnabas under the work which I've called them. And then after fasting and praying some more, you remember they sent out Paul and Barnabas on this missionary journey from Antioch. First, they come to the island of Cyprus. They preach throughout the whole island. This is where Elimus the magician is made blind because he opposed Paul. As a result of that, the, the proconsul, which is like a Roman governor of a province, he saved and believes through that journey. Next, they come to Perga, all right, and you can see that on the map, hopefully. Perga is right after Cyprus. It's the first place they come to on the coastline. And this is where John Mark leaves them. You remember that originally it wasn't just Paul and Barnabas, but they had John Mark. Now, if you see how long this whole journey was, you can see John Mark kind of bailed out a little early, and you can see why Paul didn't want to bring him back in future time because he, he left real early in this journey. And, and then as you go through the rest of the journey, you learn a little bit about what Paul was willing to endure, including stonings. Think about that. If you're Paul and you've been stoned half dead, you get up and you keep going for another six months in your journey because he wasn't even halfway at that point. If that's the kind of person you are, that you could be stoned and left for dead and then get up and keep preaching, keep fighting, keep pressing, you don't have a lot of respect for somebody like John Mark. Now, it doesn't, the Bible does not tell us why John Mark left. You know, poor John Mark, he could have been sick. I mean, he could have had good reasons. I don't know. But Paul, whatever they were, Paul did not care. He was not impressed. You, you cut halfway out again. I'll never take you on another journey with me again. And we haven't got to that part yet, but that's eventually why Paul and Barnabas split ways. Because Barnabas was so full of mercy, he wanted to give John Mark another chance. And Paul said, the mission is more important than John Mark. In other words, accomplishing the mission and getting the work of God done is more important than any one person. And I, and I love John Mark. There's a place for John Mark, but it's not on this missionary journey because we can't afford to risk that again. You can see both mindsets. But just for perspective, the, the map kind of helps you see where Perga is and how early John Mark left in the deal. So that was where that happened. Then they go on to another Antioch. This is a, this is a different Antioch. This is where Paul is asked to preach in the synagogue. He preaches the probably the best gospel summary sermon in the whole Bible is recorded here in Antioch. And uh, he's invited back for the next Sabbath. The whole city shows up. Jews oppose him. Then the Jews are rejected. The Gentiles are accepted. They shake the dust off their feet and they depart. They arrive at Iconium. They have great success. But Jews poisoned the believing Jews' minds. And they eventually attempt to stone them. They depart for Lystra and Derbe. At Lystra, so, so at uh, Lystra, excuse me, I want to make sure this is right. At Iconium, they are attempted to be stoned, but they're not stoned. Then we go to Lystra and Derby. That's when the, the uh, crippled man is healed. The people worship them, and then they stone them. They continue to rise up and preach at Derby. Then they return home. The same way they came, preaching and strengthening the churches all the way back. Verse 21 is where we pick up here. Uh, 
when they had preached the gospel at the city of Derby, this is the last city on the map that you'll see the very end of the blue and where the red starts. When they had preached the gospel to, the, to that city, which was Derby, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra. These are all, think about all things that have happened in these cities now. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. That was where all the problems started in Antioch. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. That's their message to these believers. Why? Because... They, they know what happened to them in these cities. And now these guys, these new believers, have to live in those cities. you got to live with this same group of people. And now you're called to reach these people for God. So he says, look, this is not going to be easy. This is not for the faint of heart. They tried to stone me. And now you're going to stay here. But he says, look, it's through many tribulations that you will enter the kingdom of God. In other words, the, the road ahead of you is a difficult one. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Verse 24. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoke the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And that completes the first missionary journey of Paul. Again, there are two more after this. But you kind of see how the early church first thought about planting churches, about you know missionary journeys, their approach to ministry. They, they went to a city. If they were having success... Sometimes it says they stayed many days, sometimes weeks, sometimes months. They stayed in one city. And as long as the grace of God was on them, they stayed there. They worked. They preached. And then when they'd been rejected or somebody tried to stone them, they said, okay, we're going on to the next city. And they kept moving, moving, moving. But in every city, whether it was small, whether it was big, there was a group of people that would give their life to Jesus. And when they returned... They went by and they checked, They would check on them. Now, I believe when they went back on the return trip, I believe they were a little more secretive about it because you don't see any problems. You don't see any uprisings. You don't see any stonings. You don't see anything. They went back and their, their goal was different on the return trip. On the, on the departure trip, on the, the trip going, they were preaching the good news to everybody in the city that would listen. But their mindset is different on the way back. Their mindset is, we've already preached. We already gave you the chance to believe or not believe. Now we're not here to try to save everyone. We're here to try to disciple and strengthen the ones that have already received the word of God. So on the way back, their mission is different. You could tell that the mission is different. On the way back, they're strengthening the believers. They're appointing elders. They're making sure there's some sort of church structure, some sort of church dynamic and they're, they're strengthening those believers, and they're going on to each city. This reminded me so much when I was reading this of uh, when I was in China with the underground church because this is almost exactly how they operated, same, same thing. It's like, you know, the, the culture at large has rejected Christ, but there are little cells and little groups of people that have embraced the gospel, and so much of the ministry that's done is done secretly. It's done, you know, to strengthen the disciples, strengthen the ones that already believe, and then to bring new people into the fold. It's not like we do it in America. It's not just getting up and preaching the gospel, you know, crusades and, and preaching from church, preaching on Facebook, preaching live stream. They're, no one's doing that. They, they can't bring people into the kingdom like that because it would their whole ministry would be shut down. They'd be put in prison. So it's done in a different way. And that's kind of how you see it being done here. It's done a little bit under the radar because of the resistance and the persecution. You see that on the way back that they had to change, they had to change strategies. Another thing that um, really stood out to me 
about this passage is you notice the, the different callings that people have on their life. You know, a lot of people, when they read the Bible like this, maybe they read these couple chapters and they think to themselves, man, see, this is how ministry is supposed to be done. You know, Paul's going out, he's preaching, he's going into cities, he's bold, he's gathering the city, he's telling them about Jesus. That's how ministry should be done. And they'll come to churches and they'll criticize, well, how come we're not doing more of that? You know, how come we're not going out in the city doing this, that, or the other? And just people have different mindsets about how ministry is supposed to be done. And sometimes they, they read things like this and they think, well, see, that's how church is supposed to be done. Well, here's what's interesting to me. That's how they did it on the way there. But that's not how they did it on the way back. And not to mention, what about the Christians that they left in every city? How were they doing ministry? You know, I think about the, the believers in Iconium, the believers at Lystra, the believers at Derby. Was it five believers? Was it 25? Was it 100 I imagine it was different in every city. I imagine, I don't know which city they had the least amount of fruit. But let's just say there was one city where there was only 10 people. Well, guess what? Somebody still had to be appointed as shepherd over those 10. And somebody had to stay there and lead those 10 because those 10 mattered to God. And apparently they mattered to Paul and Barnabas too. So ministry, you know, doing ministry looks different. People have different calls. If the person who was supposed to stay at Iconium and pastor 10 people got caught up in the glamour of Paul the Apostle's ministry, and he's going all over the world, and he's planting churches, and he's reaching people for God. I think I'm going to go travel with him. Well, how many of you know he would be in disobedience to God? Because he wasn't called to go all over the world and do that. He was called to stay there and be faithful be faithful over a little, be faithful over those 10 people that matter to God and do that and do that well and pour his whole self into that and, be, and give glory to God for it. He was not called to be Paul the Apostle. He was not called to be anything more than just taking care of those few little people. Now, in the kingdom, who's more important? Because we don't get the name of any of these elders that were appointed. It says he went to every city and they appointed elders in every, in every city. Doesn't give us their name. Of course we know Paul's name. Of course we know Barnabas's name. They're mighty men of God affecting the kingdom. But are these people that are left behind, are they any less important than Paul? I don't believe so. I look at people like that and, and I go, man, they were faithful to fulfill their call right where they are, they are at. And we have to understand the kingdom mindset and how God sees it. Because I can tell you this, God doesn't judge, we're not going to be judged when we stand before God for the supposed fruit of our lives in ministry. In other words, one person may stand before God and it just looks like they have massive amounts of fruit and then one person has a little bit of fruit. That's not really how God judges it. What God judges is faithfulness. And were you faithful with what I gave you to do what I asked you to do. And besides that, how do you really judge fruit anyway? In other words, if, if, if there's some land to be cleared and one guy has a backhoe and one guy has a shovel, you don't, you don't compare the two and go, well, look at all this dirt that this guy moved. Well, yeah, he had a backhoe. All I had was a shovel. And it might be that the guy who was on the backhoe just moving the sticks around, had it a little easier, right, than the guy who was on the show. The guy who with the show may have actually done more work, may have put in more effort, may have actually been more faithful. But the dirt that he has to show for it doesn't compare with what the other guy had. But the difference was one of them had a backhoe, one of them has a shovel. And God knows the difference. In other words, people that, that are looks like they have just tremendous amount of fruit in their life, well, you don't know what graces God's given them, what influence God has given them, what people God has given them, what resources God has given them to do what they've been called to do. That's not how God judges it. What God judges is faithfulness. And are you faithful to take what I've given you with the abilities that I've given you and the giftings I've given you and the grace that I've given you and do with that what I've called you to do? And if so, 
you're going to be shocked on Judgment Day. People are going to be shocked on Judgment Day because man judges it different. You know, man would look at this and go, oh, man, the reward that Paul the Apostle must have. I mean, my gosh, Paul the Apostle wrote the, you know, two-thirds of the New Testament traveling all these missionary journeys. Well, but what about the guy who stayed behind in Iconium? What about that little guy? What about him? Nobody knows his name. His name's not even in Scripture. But I can tell you that heaven knows his name. Heaven knows his name, and for all you know, for all we know, on Judgment Day, we're going to be shocked how the rewards are passed out. Because it's not going to always be what we, what we think. And that's why, that's why God, Jesus tried to tell us that in advance. He said, I'm telling you, you need to pay attention, because the first are going to be last. And the last are going to be first. Last in human understanding, human eyes. People look and go, oh, that person's nobody. They don't even, nobody even knows their name. They're not doing that much for God. Well, pay attention. I, I mean, I always think about this for my own self. I always think about this because I know the people that serve in the areas of church and mission. I've been in ministry for my, pretty much my whole life in some fashion or form. And people that are behind the scenes doing stuff, serving changing diapers, doing, and people think, oh, well, you know, this guy, this pastor, this person on the stage, okay, but I'm just telling you, in heaven's eyes, it might be a little different. And And so sometimes we get caught up in the world system, though, and we think, well, these are the people that they're really honored and are really doing something for God. You don't need to look at it like that. There's so many things that the kingdom of God needs in every area, and what God needs, he doesn't need... a a team full of superstars. He needs a team full of people that are willing to do their role and do it faithfully and do it well. And that's that's what the kingdom needs. Amen? So when when I look at this, I go, man, people have different calls. You know, you you clearly see Paul and Barnabas' call, but but I also see these other guys that were in the city pastoring these churches, planting these churches, that no one even really knew their name or knew who they were. They maybe didn't have just a huge amount of fruit, but they were faithful in what they did. And I believe it meant something to God. Amen?